one of them is a group of people that has been meeting every month um, to talk about hmm, a whole variety of things, but the idea is that we would get together and talk about leadership from a faith perspective and what that looks like and how justice plays into our leadership. And this group of people has been wonderfully not like me um, in many, many ways, and that's been the greatest gift of the group is that I've spent time and formed relationships with people who give me a different perspective on the world. And one of them has become a friend of mine, um, uh, Ricardo. Ricardo uh, is the executive director of a nonprofit on, on the north end of Grand Rapids called New City Neighbors. Yeah, I got that right. And, um, and is just a, also a church planter. So he knows how to do this bivocational thing or he's figuring out how to do it. And um, that's part of what we talk about and share together. But he, he has been a gift to me, and I think he'll be a gift to you this morning. So would you just join me in welcoming him to the branch today? Good morning. It is such a pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Chris, for that wonderful introduction. We have been a part of something called the MICA Group. Um, at least I think that's what it's called. I don't know if we ever had an official discussion as to what it was called. But the idea is people from around the city, um, leaders, faith leaders, getting together, encouraging one another, sharpening one another. And that's been such an enriching experience. Um, getting to know Chris has been great. I'm actually a church planter, and our church is not too far from here, not even a half mile. Um, so to just know that there are these awesome things happening through the branch and getting to learn about Chris's journey and about your journey as a church has been encouraging to me. Um, so I'm going to start with a word of prayer here and then I'm just gonna jump right in into the book of Mark if that's okay with you guys. Sound okay? You gotta talk back to me, okay? My, my church, my culture, you talk back to the pastor. It's not a bad thing, I promise, okay? There's, there's this interaction, so let's pray together. Lord, we come before you now in the name of Jesus, and we ask, God, that you would open up our hearts to your word, to what you have to say to us this morning. Um, lead us and guide us, teach us your ways, open our eyes, give us your vision, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So I want to start off by asking you a question, um, and then we're going to go into Mark chapter 8. Um, but the question, or, or something for you to think about, is um, when is a time you might have missed something that in hindsight was completely obvious? So I'm going to say that again. When might you have missed something that in hindsight you look at it and you think, man, that was so obvious? Can you think of a time like that? Cool. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to someone next to you and describe that experience. So we're going to do some, some interactive learning and, and preaching here. I'm not going to do all the work today. I don't get, a, get paid enough for that. <laughs> so I want you to turn to someone next to you and just describe that experience. Describe a time that you missed something but then in hindsight, you, or you look back on it and you think, how did I miss that? It was so clear, it was right there. All right, so go ahead and talk to your neighbor.
going to give you about one more minute. I'm going to give you about 30 more seconds here. Make sure you hit the highlight of your story. All right, thank you for sharing. Um, I was watching a movie, and I won't tell, tell you the title because I don't necessarily want you to go watch this movie. It um, has a lot of crude humor and, and that kind of stuff. But um, there's, it opens up with um, a scene where this guy named Chris, it's not this Chris, uh, <laughs> not, not your pastor Chris, um, but this guy named Chris is, is getting ready for, um, to, to see someone. And it's uh, the end of his high school um, experience so they're having a graduation party, and you see him in the mirror, um, and he's singing along to boys, to men, saying, I swear, by the moon and the stars in the sky, I swear. And he's, he's killing it, right? And, and he's just going through all the motions, and you see the, the love and the expression on his face, and then uh, the camera pans, and you see his wall, um, and it's full of pictures of him and this girl named Jamie. And he is just in love with Jamie. You see pictures of them doing all kinds of activities together. They're having ice cream together. They're playing outside together. They're cheerleaders together, kind of weirdly. Um, and it's just, you can see that he's gone totally out of his way to spend as much time with Jamie as possible. And Chris has this plan that he's going to go to Jamie's house today, and he's going to give her her yearbook signed with all kinds of details about the love and the, the great experience he's had with her, and say, hoping for more, your friend, Chris. And so Chris goes over to Jamie's house, and um, there's actually a house party there happening, and he wasn't expecting that, and so it becomes this weird and awkward moment, and he's trying to get her attention, and he's trying to just kind of like shake her and say, look, I need you to read this. And when she finally hears the words, she turns to him and she says, oh, Chris, I love you too, like a brother. <laughs> she completely misses everything that he's saying, everything that he's intending for her to see, all the love and the affection that he's been given her, uh, she, she just completely misses what he's doing. Now, you guys have been going through the book of Mark, and I really enjoy looking at the book of Mark for specific reasons. If I had to give Mark a theme or kind of a subtitle, it would be, Mark, we're idiots, <laughs> or we're fools, or we completely missed it like five times. 
the story of how 12 guys following Jesus needed Jesus to explain to them at least 50 times who he is and why he was there. It keeps going past their heads over and over. And Mark chapter 8 is right in the, in the middle of the book. And there's a lot going on in this chapter. Um, in fact, I could come at this chapter so many ways in, in preaching this message. Um, maybe that's why your pastor gave it to me, because it's a lot of work. <laughs> But I want us to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, which I think is how you've been reading it here. It says, um, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. This is the word of the Lord. So, this is a really interesting story. It's one of those stories that maybe you heard in Sunday school sometime, because your Sunday school teacher probably thought, man, this is like really cool. You know, Jesus is spitting on people's eyes. Like, this is interesting. You know, he gets healed, flannel graphs, boom, yeah. <laughs> but there's so much that brings us to this moment that I would be remiss if I don't bring in some context into why Jesus does this miracle in this specific way. So a couple chapters ago, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Well, 5,000 is just the number of the men there. Right, there's plenty more people in this crowd. He has a few loaves of bread and some fish and he breaks them and, and he starts giving it out to the crowd and the disciples are just like, whoa, like what, what happened? We thought we were gonna have to send these people away so they could get something to eat. And Jesus feeds them in the middle of the wilderness. And then, you know, he kind of goes on his business and you know, he heals some blind people, makes some deaf people able to hear, you know, doing his Jesus thing. And then um, it, we come again to, to another instance where Jesus is um, with a large crowd of people, about 4,000, and he does the exact same thing. Instead of sending them away, he, he brings out a few loaves of bread, and he just breaks the bread. They fill baskets that goes out to all the people. Everybody has something to eat, and the disciples are amazed. This is the second time it happens. And the first time, there were 12 baskets of food left over. The second time, there are seven baskets of food left over. And then the Pharisees are standing around, and they have the nerve to ask Jesus, by, uh, like, who are you? Who says you can do these things? Give us a sign that says you have the authority to do this. And you would think that the very virtue of Jesus feeding 4,000 people out of just a few loaves of bread would be sign enough for them to see and understand who he is. 
But they're testing Jesus. They're, they're pushing his limits because they believe that he's some sort of false prophet, that he's doing this through the power of Satan and not through the power of God. And in Deuteronomy, there's some verses that say, hey, uh, ask the prophet for a sign. And if the prophet actually gives you a sign and, and then asks you to follow a different God, then you go out and you stone him. So Jesus knows where they're going with this. And, and he says, I'm not going to give you a sign. This generation is not going to get the sign that you're looking for. And so he gets on a boat with the disciples. They just break away from the situation. The disciples forget that they were supposed to bring these seven baskets of bread. And so now they're on the boat and they're hungry and they're like, man, who was supposed to bring the bread? Andrew, what, what was going on? Where were you at? And so Jesus takes the opportunity and he says to them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the disciples, oh, the disciples, they start whispering to each other, see, we're supposed to bring the bread. He's mad that we didn't bring the bread. And Jesus looks at them and he says, this is the paraphrased version. Boy, you guys are stupid. I'm not talking about bread. You're worried about whether or not you're hungry. Like, I can, like, look, I can make bread if I want to. I can pull it out from behind your ear. Like, ooh, here's a loaf of bread. Like, this, that's not what I'm talking about. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. Open your eyes to see what's going on here. And so th then we come to this story here, where Jesus arrives at Bethsaida, and people have heard about the power of Jesus, and so they bring him this man who is blind. Now, this man has seen before, so he's gone blind, and, and they want his sight to be restored. So they bring him over to Jesus. And you can just see, see the moment there. Jesus sees what's happening. He grabs the guy by the hand and slowly leads him outside the village because he doesn't want everyone in the village to see what's going to happen. People are asking for a sign, and so this could be an opportunity for them to get the sign, quotation marks, that they're, that they're hoping for. And so he brings this man out of the village, and then he does something that's totally bizarre. He spits on his eyes. I'm sure that's not how you would want your sight received, right? Like, you don't want some, some guy that you heard could heal you to just go up to you and spit on your face and say, hey, can you see now? But that's what Jesus does. Jesus spits on his eyes, and there's this, this weird, unique moment. And the man looks out, and he says, what do you see? Can you see? Can you see now? And the man says, well, kind of. I see people walking around, and they look like trees. Why didn't it work the first time when Jesus spit on his eyes? So like I said, I'm a church planter, and uh, church planting in this generation, I guess, is, is pretty interesting. 
Um, we, get, we get an interesting collection of people that come and visit and check us out, and um, a lot of them stick around and some of them don't. And you hear different stories, and then they come in different uh, unique ways. And in one particular way, this guy who I'll call Bill um, hits me up on Facebook. He hits up our page, and he starts messaging and asking a bunch of questions like, hey, where do you guys meet? You know, what's your worship service like? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. We might have a visitor. So, you know, I start messaging him back and forth. And this is on a Saturday evening, I believe. And um, then he starts asking deeper questions like, okay, so what do you believe? Like, how many people are there? Um, what, what do you wear when you go to worship? Like, how are the seats set up? How liturgical are you? I'm like, wow, this is getting really specific. So I'm going through and I'm answering his questions as best as I can. And eventually I just say, I, dude, I think you just got to come check it out. Like, uh, you're, you're asking a lot of questions, and I'm trying to answer as best as I can. I'm not sure you're quite understanding where I'm, where I'm coming from, because at our church, we, we don't sit in rows. We sit around tables. We have coffee together. We do more of a Bible discussion than a sermon most often. Um, at the end of the month, we do more of a formal worship service, because that's just kind of where we are as a church plant. And so he finally decides, okay, I'm going to come. I'm a little nervous, I'm gonna check this out. And so he comes to church and um, he engages with us a little bit, he grabs some, some coffee, um, he sits down and then he just goes quiet for the rest of the time. And we're, everyone around the tables are engaging in Bible study and discussion and they're trying to you know, just discover what this God thing is and, and he just kinda of sits there sipping his coffee, listening. And then it's, right, it's time for us to go, and so I give him a hug, and I say, hey, you know, if you ever want to grab coffee and talk about what you experienced here, because I'm really not sure where he's at, um, and I want to make sure that, you know, we connect. If there's something there, I, I want to be able to, to walk with him a little bit. So I said, sure, I'll hit you up. We'll do some coffee. So a couple weeks pass by, and I get out of work a little early, and we meet at a coffee shop close to downtown, and we start talking about his church experience. And what I begin to learn about Bill is that he's someone who has been seeking God for a very long time. But Bill has been a victim of what we like to call church hurt, which should be like in the book of psychology by now, as a condition. And he's been through a lot. So he grew up in a small town, and um, he, he went to this very conservative church where there was just like a lot of rules. Um, he didn't quite say it this way, but the picture he painted was there was a, like a list of rules on the wall almost when you walked in. This is what you have to do. You can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And even like that, he felt that God was calling him to serve, that God was calling him to do something. And he didn't quite understand what it was all about, just that he had this this church experience that was full of pressure, full of rules, not really understanding um, what faith was. And then he ended up going to seminary, and he went to seminary, ended up having a horrible experience. There was some abuse that happened there, some spiritual abuse, and now he doesn't go to church at all. And I start talking to him about this experience, and I'm asking, like, how, how can I help you? Is there, is there anything we can do? And he says, well, I, I just can't. I just can't go to a church like this again. I'm like, cool, okay, we're not a church like that, so we got that covered, right? He's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't go to a church like that. I'm like, no, I got, I got you. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not that church. Like, it's, it's okay, you know, you, you, you've seen how we are. We, we don't do that. We're, we're almost the complete opposite. 
And he says, no, I, I, I can't go to a church like that again. And we just kind of go back and forth for about a half hour. And then I realize I, I'm not sure that he can see the difference because he's had so many past experiences that are just clouding what's right in front of him. This man is standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus asks him, can you see? Can you see the world around you? Can you see what I'm showing you? And the man says, I, I, all I can do is see. It's, it's cloudy. I, I see people like trees walking around. This experience that this man is having as he's being touched by Jesus is similar to the experience that the disciples are having, similar to the experience that the Pharisees are having because Jesus is right in front of them, showing them the way, trying to lead them, explain the scriptures, tell them what this is supposed to look like, not what it looks like, but what it's supposed to look like. Let me show you what the kingdom is supposed to be. Let me teach you how to call God our Father. Right? So Jesus is giving them these rich experiences, and they can't see, they don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus literally has to put a little bit of himself on their eyes in order for them to be opened. And so he, he takes this man, he touches his eyes again, and he says, can you see? And the man finally is able to look out. <clears throat> his vision is restored, and he could see everything clearly. And then Jesus sends him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Now the disciples here learn a little bit of something. They, there's, there's something that's being pulled away from their eyes too because then Jesus gathers, gathers his disciples and he asks them the question, who do people say that I am? And then finally, the revelation is given to them. Finally, they're able to see Jesus for who Jesus is. And one of them says, some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say, you know, that you're a great teacher. But who do you say that I am? Have you finally understood what this is all about? And one of them says, well, I believe that you are the Messiah. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're finally understanding. Now we're finally able to see past everything that we've missed. See past the, the experiences. See past the laws and the traditions of the Pharisees. See past the rabbinical teachings into what God actually intended. What God was hoping for them to live into. That they would see that it was God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that God is here with us. The Pharisees were asking for a sign. Jesus himself is the sign. And I don't know where 
You guys have come from, I don't know your story, I don't, I don't know your, your journey or, or how you arrived at this place, I don't know if you're a visitor here, I don't know if you've been here since the get-go, but what I want you to know is that Jesus is the sign that we've been looking for. And we have to look past everything that the world says about him. We have to look past all, all the, the suspicions, the philosophies, all the false teaching, the televangelists. We have to look past all of these falsehoods, look past all of these rules, look past sometimes even all of these traditions to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. That God is here standing right in front of you, wanting to give you everything that you need. We're looking for a sign, and the sign is right there. Jesus is right here. God is right here in this room, waiting to touch you, waiting to bring you into the fullness of the kingdom, waiting for you to follow him and open your eyes and see him for who he really is. And all we have to do is believe that this Jesus, son of Joseph, is actually the Messiah, the son of God, called to save the world. Jesus is the sign. So I had another experience with someone who was visiting our church, and I'll call him Hector. And Hector comes in, and he's been, he's been through a lot. Um, Hector identifies as, as gay, and um, his parents are Catholic and very religious, and he doesn't really know where he fits in in terms of community or, or, or this God thing or understanding the Bible. All he knows is that for a long time, it meant that he could not be a part of this thing called church. And so he comes in and he starts hanging out with us and, and he's spending time with us. And then we, we make a call to see, like, who wants to be a member of our church? This is an opportunity for you to join. And I look over and he's standing up and I'm like inside of myself, like, whoa, 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 what just happened? What, what happened here? And so I go over and I talk to him and I said, you know, I saw that you stood up. Tell me a little bit about that. What's, what's happening in your mind and in your heart? And he says, I, I don't really know how to explain it. All I know is that whenever I'm here, whenever I'm in this room, whenever we're, we're talking about God, suddenly I, I, I feel lifted. I see myself in a different way. I feel like this positive energy is, is just calling me and embracing me and telling me that I'm loved. There hasn't been a moment where I've walked away from here not feeling better than when I walked in. That's God in the room, Jesus in the room, pulling away the veil, pulling away the things that would blind us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. And so I want to close with these words here. It's actually from a well-known hymn. Um, Be thou my vision, O Lord. O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou be my best thought, 
by day or by night, walking or sleeping, thy presence, thy light. And the song goes on to say, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always, thou and thou only, first in my heart, King of heaven, my treasure thou art. May we adopt this as our prayer. May we pray for God's, uh, God's miracle to open our eyes to see that God would be our vision and that we would move our hearts to a place where Jesus himself is our treasure, where we see God for who God really is. And that may we enter into this true relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes.